If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet are of the utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here's your host, Brian Bailey. All right, everyone, it is time for another episode of Taming the Wild and Your Dog. And this week, we're going to be talking about the second part of Shock Collars, the horror of it all. Oh, my God. Joining me in the studio, thank goodness to keep me under control, is um, master trainer and handsome and part-time hippie, Joshua Huffmaster, and my beautiful wife, Kira, who I finally call the great and powerful Oz. Uh, you just had to be a part of our little group here to understand why we call her that. But anyway, let's get right to it. Uh, last week, we spent some time talking about why are remote training callers, and that's what us skilled practitioners and people who have a actual clue as to what the device was invented for, what was intended for, uh, versus the people who are absolutely clueless and ignorant, they call them shock callers. Uh, this is a device that has been around for decades. Uh, it has seen uh, itself grow and morph into a tool, just like any sort of technology. Uh, now, it is so refined in technology, it's literally up to the practitioner's hands at this point and their skill set and their knowledge. And I think we really need to focus on that. And so part of today's episode, it will be learning how to do that very thing because it's just a device. It's just a piece of technology and we are surrounded with technology, but yet why this one is so maligned again, ignorance period. If you bothered to do some real work with one, held one in your hands, actually applied it. If you actually had enough knowledge to apply it properly, then you would have a completely different opinion because you would be seeing people owning dogs that would have no chance of owning a dog without it. You would see children with advanced muscular dystrophy in wheelchairs having service dogs that they would not be able to have without it. You would see outdoor recreationists, hunters, and people who just enjoy taking their dog to the dog park have it and have the enjoyment of doing so because they know how to use it. And we'd also be saving about 700,000 to a million dogs per year that are euthanized for bad behavior. I know we talked on this last time about where they, where the remote caller was 10, even 15 years ago, how they had one, two, maybe three different levels and it was ouch, more ouch and even more ouch. And that's, I think where that stigma came from. I was working with a client just uh, yesterday that uh, he used to do with his hunting dogs back in the day, he used remote collars and he was using the, uh, the remote collar that we use here, our default remote collar that we go to. And he was going, man, this isn't anything like we used to use. This thing is awesome. This thing is awesome. He goes, this, this is nothing like what, what I used to work with. So even somebody who was pro with it wasn't educated on how the remote collar um, is used today. Yeah. It's a, again, it, it, it's morphed. It's evolved. It's like anything. I still remember the big old uh, VHS tapes that you had to plug into your TV. 
I remember actually having to drive to the bank to deposit money. It's, it's a new day in age, and there's nothing wrong with embracing technology. But, uh, you know, before we get into, we got some time to spend on how to use these. But we had a couple of comments that came to us last week after the uh, first uh, part one. And one of these came from a supposed hotshot force-free trainer over there in the UK. And, you know, I went home and I counted it to 10. It's a fast 10, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's probably a fast 10. But then I said, oh, what the hell? You freaking deserve it. You know, this guy sends this little thing. He says, don't you think this is enormously biased? I'm looking for scientific evidence, not gospel. Okay. Well, here we go. First things first. I don't know how things work in the UK, but in this country, you are innocent until proven guilty. So therefore, if I'm doing something wrong, using a remote training caller or the other two or three million Americans that are using them doing something wrong, then the burden of proof is on you, friend, not on me. You need to prove it. So you need to bring science and prove it. You also need to bring flat out testimonial evidence. I think it was gospel that got remote callers banned in the UK to begin with, was it not? Oh, (laughs) who knows? Uh, Who knows? But the... When it comes to research, I pulled out one last week, uh, research done by the British Columbia Society for Prevention and Cruelty of Animals. I didn't even get halfway through it, and I'd already shot 50 stinking holes in that. That thing looked like Swiss cheese, and I wasn't even halfway through it. So again, if you've got science, bring it. There's some more science. I'll just dig up one every single week, and I'll just put on the show every single week. Here's one that was that was. Uh, put out in the Journal of Veterinary Medicine, and the title of the article was The Effects of Using Aversa. Good God, Dave, that word has been beaten to death. Why don't you just say it the way it really is? Aversive training methods in dogs. And it was a review. And they go on and on saying, okay, well, if you use force-free, the dog acts like this. And if you don't use force-free, you use positive punishment, so on and so forth, the dog behaves like this, and blah, 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 blah. And you work your way through all that crap. And finally, finally, it's like, why didn't you say this at the front? Because I wouldn't have bothered to read it. Uh, A few methodological concerns arose from the reviewed studies. Okay, here we go. So we do have a few methodological concerns. That, are, that did arose from the review studies. Among them are small sample sizes. Oh, God. Again, if you want to know something, you can't just pick two people out of the crowd. You got to build a crowd. You have to have continuity. And this is what is lacking in all this science. There is no continuity. Then there's missing data on effect size. Then <laughs> it gets even worse. Possible bias when coding behavior in observational studies. You think? (laughs) Possibly. Possibly there's some bias in it. Uh, And then the need, the need to publish reports of bodily damage caused by aversive training methods. Where's the need and how much damage is there? And that brings me to my next point. If there's so many dogs being abused out there by remote training callers, where are they? Yeah. 
in my 40 years, 20 years of owning a veterinary hospital, who I have veterinarians that work for me that can attest to this. We never, ever, ever saw a case of an abused animal in which we could blame the cause on a remote training caller. Never have heard of it. Never seen it myself. Don't know of anyone. And I have colleagues who are the colleagues of all colleagues when it comes to ethology, biology, psychology, and any sort of biology you want to add to the end of their name. So where are all these abused dogs? And and last time I looked, I've yet to see one jump off a table, strap itself to a dog, and start abusing the dog. <laughs> so again, as I put on the first episode, it, it boils down to the human yeah. responsibility. Humans, I mean, you you can you can find pictures on Google all day long of these two little puncture wounds in the dog's neck. That's going to say, "Do you see what this remote collar did?" And it'll be called burns. It'll be called all these types of things. And it's no, 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 no. This is a irresponsible human that left a remote collar on a dog for way too long and didn't uh, address the dog's needs of getting that thing off. Anything, contact points of anything, lay in bed for too long, you get bed sores. Yeah, it's called pressure right. necrosis. Again, five minutes of looking on a piece of technology call your spoon feeding smartphone you imbecile and you would understand exactly what that was but again oh no let's don't go do that because I don't want anything to sway me because I need to believe in something even though what I'm believing is in is nothing more than an avalanche of ignorance that is rolling down a hill and taken out millions of dog owners happy dogs reliable animals just wiping them out, having no pity whatsoever. You don't give a crap about anything but your own stinking selves. You are just nothing more than an ignorant avalanche coming down the hill. And I'm telling you what, as you can tell, I did count to 10. I promise I did. But it's all starting to look like a Salem witch hunt. You have no scientific proof. But here, hold on to this big, heavy, 100-pound stone. And if you sink down to the bottom of the lake and drown, you're innocent. Mm -hmm. But if you happen to come back to the top, we're going to burn you at the stake. Good God. There's no criminal proof. Again, where's all these abusive owners? Because the, the machine did not abuse the dog. It took a human to do it. It is no different than if a car slams into you. Well, the car didn't leave the driveway by itself. It was the drunk driver. Same thing goes for guns. Uh, it's not the gun that shoots the human. It's the human who shoots the human. So again, just like we have driver education, we have gun permits and, and firearm education. What this thing needs mostly is for us to all just shut up because there is nothing that you can use to support it. There is no reasonable proof. You would no more get this to a court of law to save your life. So shut up and let's start dealing with education. Maybe we can develop a standardization. Maybe we can come up with some sort of criteria, a permit. That would go a long ways towards making sure that the humans who operate the machine operate the machine properly. You know, and it's just, uh, and even then I wish you a lot of luck. I know what things are like over in the UK, my friend, but over here in America, remote callers are used extensively by outdoor recreationist hunters. And that just happens to be an $887 billion a year industry that has created over 7.6 million jobs, which has also been responsible 
for $65.3 billion in federal tax reserve money for the country, and also $59.2 billion in state and local tax. So good luck. I didn't even bother to mention the companies to employ the people who do make the remote training callers in the laboratories. So good luck trying to get that ban here in the United States because you're going to have to bring a whole lot more than your opinion. And let me tell you where that some of that opinion comes from. Uh, recently, there was a dog. It was very tragic. and It's very wrong that went into a board training program at an establishment. I'm not going to name it. You can read about it yourself. Went in there and lost 16 pounds. And you, when you go in and you're 32 pounds and you come out 16 pounds, that's like a human going from 200 to 102 weeks, you're going to die. Your organism will probably not survive that. But here we go. You can thank good old Lucinda Grandy. She is the superintendent of the Humane Society of Washington, which is in Johnson City, Tennessee. And here she is, quote unquote, we would love to see shock collars off the market. God. She took this opportunity to take a stab at remote callers, even though the story has nothing to do with remote callers. Well, first of all, this thing hasn't moved past criminal charges. So again, let the courts do their job. Liability and the laws of this country were based upon the reasonable and prudent person. Let justice do its things. If they're wrong, they will be proven wrong and they will have to deal with the justice system of America and rightly so. But however, to sit there and use your position as a supervisor of a humane society and blatantly say and give the opinion and to represent that shock callers are bad, remote training callers. Again, just the fact that you call it a shock caller speaks of your ignorance when it comes to the device. But to use your position to now gain the influence of other people and you have no science, you have no fact, you have nothing. And it's that kind of behavior that needs to stop and stop right here right now in America. Because let me tell you something, friends. I deal with a far greater problem. We have, a, we have deeper issues to deal with. And yet we are distracted from those deeper issues because we're messing around with something as stupid as using a remote training call or some sort of technology to help train our dogs. Okay, God, I'm just saying I'm going to spend a whole lot more time on it because it's just not worth it. And besides that, wolves don't care about the opinion of sheep. It just makes me mad because why? Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I deal with the dark side of dogs. I deal with a side that most people don't know how to deal with, nor do they want to deal with it. You know, it's tough standing in front of a client and playing God. I don't want God's job. I don't want that job. My heart can't handle that job. When you have to tell someone, I'm sorry, there's no way out for your dog. Your dog is suffering from a developing, deep phobias, a generalized anxiety disorder. This is beyond the help of psychopharmaceuticals and therapy. And besides that, the dogs attacked you and nearly killed you. Already attacked five other people from a legal standpoint. There's nowhere for this animal to go. The rescues have turned it down. The shelters have turned it down. And for you to keep it could be death to you or worse yet, death to someone who never even knew about you and your dog. 
And then you have to recommend this is the end of the line. And they look at you to be that person who makes that difficult choice for them. And so it's hard. And I just get tired of playing God. Because again, I don't want his job. It's a tough job. I do it. Why? Because I care. I care about that human. I care about that dog. It's hard on my heart. I have to practice my skills every day. Every day. I have to learn more. Because why? It's getting worse. Worse. Dogs that are suffering from phobias, mental disorders, now comprise over 20% of the dogs living and breathing today. And when you are this way, when the neurons in your brain are destroyed, when the neuronal receptors are suppressed and damaged, your ability to assimilate the information coming into your brain is not accurate. Why in the world did we come up with the words paranoid, depression, suicidal, phobic, OCD? Guys, if you think that dogs can't suffer from that, think again. In a few weeks, we're going to come up with a three-part episode that's going to talk all about canine pharmacotherapy. But let me put it to you this way. In the words of Dr. Franz DeWall, why would we study, if it weren't for continuity, why would we study fear in the rat amygdala to treat phobias in humans if it weren't for that continuity, if the mammalian brain wasn't the same? So again, we need to start thinking more about that because the number one reason why we're even dealing with dogs with mental disorders isn't because of abusive owners with remote callers. Yes, that can contribute to it and someone else can contribute to it with whatever methodology that they use. But the number one reason we're dealing with it is genetics. We need to focus more on genetics. We're not doing a good job. There's a credo in science. Unhealthy mother equals inappropriate parenting, which then equals progeny, ill-equipped to deal with the dynamic stressors of the ecosystem. We need healthy mothers, and that's not means a mother's got an upset stomach. This is a mother whose bloodstream is not raging with corticosteroids, damaging her brain neurons, brain dysfunction. Now that goes right into the womb, right into those embryos, right at the time when the brain is first being developed. And here we go. We have an animal already predisposed. A huge domino has already fallen. And even in the shorter scheme of things, let's not even bring up the inability to handle adversity because you've been sheltered from it your entire life. Yeah. it's uh, Yeah. You can go back to that argument and, and Again, all day long. Okay, so if we're not supposed to use any sort of positive punishment to an animal, again, what was a positive punishment? What does that even mean? You're adding to the environment. You're adding to it, not taking away from. It's not a marketing tool. There we're you not, go. We're not saying it's a. If I look at my dog with my best Clint Eastwood look, I go ahead, pup, just keep chewing on that. That's positive punishment. I if I say no. Eh. Yeah, if I go, ah, booey, bad dog, that is all positive punishment. Oh, but God, we're not supposed to do that. So let's just run, let them run rampant. But here's the funny thing, that with dogs, they use positive punishment at a much higher degree to influence the behavior of humans 
at a rate of 14,000 times per day. Five million people are bitten in this country per year. 29,000 have to undergo reconstructive surgery. Most of those are children. It's they do it. And if they do it to us, they do it to dogs. And if they can give, then nature must have built them to receive, to be able to receive. They're not built out of stinking tissue paper. Good God, they've got claws and fangs. And it, and it's, it's what drives them and dictates how they negotiate through the world in which they live. They give it. They receive it. Mama wolf gives it. Mama dog gives it. Pups receive it. Then pups grow up and become parents and they give and their offspring has to receive. We have to understand we are the more intelligent species within this relationship. We have to be able to learn how to speak their language in order to communicate. We can't hope that they understand our language so that we can communicate. No matter how much you treat your dog like a baby, your dog is still going to treat you like a dog. There you go. I've never been a human. I always tell people all the time if some alien landed right here, right now with eight arms and our tentacles and staring at me, I'm knowing me, I'm probably just going to walk right over there and go, Hey brother, welcome to planet earth. It ain't perfect here, but welcome here. Never, nevertheless. And I'm going to stick my hand out there. And all of a sudden I could just get killed by that thing because my gesture of extending my hand could have been interpreted by that creature as something hostile. Dogs are no different. There are gestures, our movements, our voices. It is always a learning process from the minute they are born. It's, and they've never been a human. They have to learn how to live with humans. As a dog, by the way. As a dog. Amen. All right, guys, we are going to take a short break because, uh, geez, I either need to stand up or turn around or, or whatever, but we're going to get back at it. When we come back, we're going to talk about how, if you choose to use a remote training caller to train your dog, to develop husbandry skills, off-leash obedience, just maybe to enhance your on-leash obedience, whatever you decide to use it for, there are do's and don'ts. You must know how to use this tool correctly. So therefore, we're going to take a short break and we come back, we're going to dive right into that. So in the meantime, sit, stay, and hold on tight because we're coming right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. 
Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, send an email to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back, everyone. I guess we did take a break. and Well, hope you did something productive during that break. Went to the bathroom, got something to drink or whatever. All right, we're going to calm it down a little bit here. Uh, I think we stayed our case, and I'm just going to keep staying every single darn week here uh, because I always have something to state a case about. Welcome to the pet industry. It's full of fraud. It's full of just crap, and hence why we have the show, because you need protection from all of that. You need someone to tell it to you. They actually, the way it is, really, really the way it is. Okay, so you want to use a remote training caller. First of all, let's talk about the equipment. When you go shopping for one, here's some really important things to look for because you can get these things with all sorts of bells and whistles. You can get with a GPS on them. You can see where your dog is two miles away from you. I don't know why your dog should be two miles away from you, but uh, one of my rules is I don't press the button on anything unless I can see exactly what's going to happen. I abide by the rules of cause and effect in all the training that I do. So therefore, I want to be able to see both of those in that principle. Uh, Otherwise, I'm not going to use it. But as far as looking for them, here's the things that I think uh, are the most important. First of all, do know this. All of them, the the remote uh, caller sales in this country are the oversight committee who watches over these is the USDA. And they require three safety features on any caller sold in this country. One, All the buttons must be flush. Any button that could give any sort of stimulus to your dog, regardless of whether it's the vibration button or stimulus button, it has to be flush so there's no accidental going off. Number two, the continuous mode. There's usually a nick mode, which means no matter how long you hold your finger down on the button, the dog only gets a nick. Then there's a continuous button in which the dog will receive the haptic signal from you for a total of 12 seconds maximum. So you can hold your finger for 15 seconds all you want, but the machine's going to quit sending that signal 12 seconds into it. Or you can just use it for a split second. It's it's your choice. It's dealer's choice, zero to 12 seconds. Which I don't don't know what the, I mean, maybe there's a trainer out there that can tell me reasons why they use the, the Nick option or the momentary option, but... I don't play with that. I just I just use the continuous and yeah. I I can see a need for and we'll talk about it here in a second for someone that's not as skilled. Uh, 
yeah. with it uh, for more of nuisance behavior elimination more than anything else. Uh, and then the last thing that they're going to require is that at the highest level, let me say that again, at the highest level, it cannot harm the dog, meaning your dog's not going to, you're not going to have to have a defib machine sitting next to it. Not going to create a stroke. Again, now they're taking into account that your dog does not have any underlying medical conditions like cardiomyopathy and things of that sort there or or a history of uh, epilepsy or anything of that sort. So again, you you may want to have check with your vet, make sure your dog's just good, solid. And then after that, you can go. So those are the three things that are required. Now, after that, here's what I require. We will not use one. I won't use one. I won't even think of using it unless it has a, a variable intensity, meaning the ones we use go from level one to either level 100 or 127. There's no huge gains unless you jump it by about 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cannot tell you. I, again, I can't feel it. I honestly cannot. I tell you the truth. How dogs do feel it, it's just got to be freaky weird. Mm-hmm. It's just got to be like a ghost touching you on your shoulders. You're going, oh, what is that? Because mm-hmm. nature, after all, did not intend for animals to just go put these on themselves to start using them. Uh, she gave them all sorts of other abilities to deal with the eco niche. So this is kind of kind of foreign. Well, they can't see it. They can't smell it. They can't taste it. So they have nothing to relate to. Yeah, it's just there and there. Like a, Again, like a ghost touching you on the shoulder. And you're going, oh, uh, hey, ghost, can you kindly go to another house? <laughs> you know, that house is a nicer house than my house. It's got more rooms in it. They got a lot more better TVs than I have. Why don't you go over there? Yeah, it's just got to be because it's just freaky weird. Uh, But anyway, I want to have that variable intensity because back in the days that you were speaking of, uh, Joshua, we would have dogs and, okay, we're going to use this device to train the dog to come and call off leash, for example. And we go, come on level one, nothing. Okay, go to two, nothing. Well, what's next choice? Three, dog jumps through the roof. So again, you don't want that. Right. You need the dogs going, can I have like 2.5 maybe, 2.75, but not three? Amen. So you have to have that. So a variable intensity is absolutely required. Well, you need a thinking dog, not a dog that's jumping through the roof because something got it. So you have to find the exact right stimulation for that dog. And every dog is different. Amen. We, we talked, I think we briefed on that last week about Presley and mm-hmm. oh my gosh, batting her big eyelashes at the highest level of darn thing would go and like it was nothing. Uh, you bet, just like with human beings, every mammal is built differently and their ability to handle stressors and to handle stimulus is going to vary. So you need to vary with that. Okay, so that's what I require. I've got to have that variable um, Stimulus. And then after that, as far as range goes, you can get these things with incredible range. I'll, I'll take the 400 yard range. That's, you know, which means if I'm around billboards and a bunch of antennas and things like that, I've got about 100 yards. Yep. And that's good enough for me. I'm that way now because I live in the suburbs. But back when I was living on property, 78 acres, I had to have that half mile to a full mile range because I used the silent recall with that vibrate to get my dogs to come back, time to eat, whatever. True. But, uh, yeah, and they, and they make the ones for the one mile range and two mile range typically for horseback right. 
hunters and yeah. Texas they can see their dogs these high power binoculars a good mile away from them okay so now we've got the equipment other than that uh, if your dog swims with it on uh, if you have a dog that's going to be doing duck retrieval for you or, or is just swimming in your pool or going to the beach or jumping into the lake or what, ha- what have you, you'll want to make sure your device, and I honestly don't know if I know of any that are not waterproof, meaning the collar that the dog res- wears. Uh, you'll want to make sure that it is. And just so you know, they don't feel it more because <laughs> they're in the water. They may feel it better, meaning there may be more consistency and them actually feeling it with wet fur versus fluffy fur that's pulling those contacts away from the skin. Uh, so no issue with that. Okay, so now let's just get right into, we've selected our device, we've put it on our dog. So that's the next thing. Put it on snug. You will see two contacts on your receiver, the part that goes on the dog. Make sure those are touching the dog's skin. At all times. At all times, if, if you're know, using it. If, that's the huge thing is that if the dog may be looking at you straight on and it's making contact, but what if the dog looks to its right? Do the contact points come off or yep. if the dog looks up or down or wherever? It has to be making contact no matter what the dog's doing. Yeah. My rule of thumb is this. A lot of dogs shake. Yep. If your dog ever goes and shakes and that collar went from right underneath their muzzle to behind their right ear, too loose. And don't always go by the two finger thing. Every, everything says two fingers. I don't know who came up with that. You know, have you ever seen different people's fingers? <laughs> you got fat fingers. You got short fingers. You got long skinny fingers. I mean. Is that two Kira fingers or that- two Brian fingers? <laughs> no, I resemble that remark. Uh, so it's, dad, okay, just grab the receiver itself once it's on your dog. And it should take just a little bit of effort to move that bad boy. It should just park it right there and stay right there. If it's able to be moved easily, it's on too loose. And here's the biggest danger with that, like Joshua said. You have a dog moving, running, chasing another dog, going through the forest, going up a mountain. This thing's moving about. You say, come, press button. Dog doesn't feel anything, so the dog doesn't respond. Then you go, oh, I need to turn this thing up. And you keep doing that. And then all of a sudden, the dog looks over his shoulder and says, are you calling me? And then, bam, there it goes. And the dog goes, Ikes, dang, dude, <laughs> you're rude. <laughs> That's kind of rude, man. Can you turn it down just a little notch there? Uh, so you want to make sure that you have good continuity with the neck there, good contact there, because then that means that everything that you do, that haptic signal will be stereotyped and it will be very consistent. And that's really important. Okay, so now we have all of that. Step one, pairing. Write that down if you're listening. Talk it into your iPhone, whatever you have. Tell Alexis to remember it for you. Pairing. How many of you listening out there now are listening on maybe earbuds, some sort of headphones, wireless headphones, and you had to pair them with your phone? You have to do the same thing behavioral-wise with a remote training caller. It is not a remote control. And keep in mind, the dog's going to pair no matter what. We just have to intentionally pair with what we want to be paired with. Yes. And there's, therein lies the danger. They do their own pairing. I remember Kira Mm -hmm. and I bought an SUV and she, I, 
I hate buying vehicles. I hate being at the dealership. Kira will spend seven hours there haggling over 50 bucks. <laughs> and you know, it's not the money. It's the, I just want to win. And it's I will win at all costs. <laughs> Me, I'm gone. I'm out of there. I just can't stand it. So I'm gone. So she gets this SUV. And that night we go out to dinner. She lets me drive it. I'm driving down the road, having a good old time with my wife in the new car. And I decide to change lanes. And next thing you know, my butt starts vibrating. (laughs) And I swerve back to the right because I'm thinking, oh, my God, I just hit something. I just hit something. And come to find out, that's actually put in the vehicle to make sure you don't hit something. But the irony behind it is I almost hit the guy next to me because I freaked out when it went off and overcompensated and went past my own lane. It's just, but again, Kira's laughing because she's already knows this. She's already paired it. And I'm going, oh, so vibration on butt. I paired that with this. Don't make sure you turn on your turn signals before you change the lanes. That's all called pairing. The, with a dog and you're training with a remote training caller, you must start off regardless of if, if you're going to use it for obedience. And we're going to get to a second here. We're going to talk about nuisance behaviors with it. Use it for nuisance. That means non-obedience. But with obedience, whether it's on leash to enhance it or off leash, first things first, remember they don't know what it is. So I'll typically take a dog and I'll have a, or use a command that they already know. They already learned it on the leash. So they know. Sit is a great one. And I'll have the dog standing next to me and I'll say sit. And at the same time, they receive that auditory signal. They receive a haptic signal from the remote caller. It's set at a level that is just noticeable. And the young dog goes, hey, what the heck is that? And I'm going, sit. And they're going, I heard you, and I know what sit means, but there's something in this room getting me, and I need to figure out what it is. So to help clue the dog in, we now manually, using the haptic signal that it already knows and has already previously associated with sit, we lift up on the leash. The dog then lowers its butt to the ground, and as soon as the butt makes contact, we let go of the electronic haptic signal. And I'm telling you, dogs are smart. Mm -hmm. When it comes to haptic signals, remember in the order of senses in which they learn things, visual first, touch second, they learn this so quick. And the young dog goes, okay, after about 10 times, goes, I don't know what that is, but I'm starting to pick up on something here. I've noticed that when you say sit, whatever it is, it touches me. And when my butt hits the ground, it goes away. Bingo. There you go, you little smart dog, you. (laughs) And next thing you know, guess what? It suddenly appears on the word heel. You're outside of my bubble. I press and hold and say heel. I pull you back to my leg. It goes away. Same thing with come. You're at the end of my leash. I say come, press button. I start reeling you in towards me. You get to me, I let go. Wow, we do that and we keep doing that for however long it takes for the animal to understand it doesn't have to know what it is. It just has to understand how to make it go away. 
And then, and only then, am I allowed to even entertain the thought of using the device as a correction tool? Then I am. Because now I'm being fair. You know how to make it go away. So you just happen to have fallen prey to temptation. Cost versus benefit. Well, I'm going to obey the rules of semiotics. So I'm stereotyping the haptic signal. Got that in the bag already using an electronic device. Because again, we talked about last week, the machine doesn't care whose fingers press the button. And now I'm going to raise the signal to make sure that you will respond correctly in the presence of noise. And noise can be a cat, can be a squirrel, can be anything that causes your dog to temporarily not do or respond to your signal. Come. So when you're using this guy, first of all, put it on your dog. Just start pressing the button at really low levels, level one, level two, level three, level four, level five. Keep on going until you suddenly see your dog go, hey, what the heck is that? Now, it's not a yelp. It's just more like a head cock, an ear cock. Head, head looks down, head looks up in the air. You and, have to and, be really looking for it because yeah. it's subtle. Not all of the dogs are going to go, oh, I felt that. Yeah. No, no they don't. <laughs> and Well, dogs are known to suffer in silence. I wish a lot of humans would be like that, but they're <laughs> definitely like that. And you have to really look for it. You really do. Um, so, guys, keep an eye out for that. You just want to see some sort of indication that your dog indeed felt it. Now, you press the button on the continuous mode. That's why Joshua brought that out. That's why we use it. You press and hold, and you keep holding till the dog does the behavior. Now, we're not talking a 200-yard come when called. We're talking a four-foot come when called, six-foot, eight-foot. That's all it is. Because remember, tick-tock, you have 12 seconds. And I always tell people, by the way, because they always go, that's all I get is 12 seconds? Well, I tell them, okay, let me let you, let me let you in on something if your dog is not doing the behavior in 12 seconds, they don't get only it. one of two <laughs> conditions exist. Either A, they're clueless, or B, they're not motivated. <laughs> so you just, again, got to work your way through it. Uh, so again, do that with everything you do. Come, hold it till the dog gets to let go. Heel, same thing. Sit, same thing. Down, same thing. The big, big exception is stay. So stay, we don't press and hold it while we're telling the dog to stay. We just put the dog in a stay. And then when the dog starts to move, we say no, ah, booey, yeah, bad dog, whatever, and then press the button then. Don't count on this during the pairing phase. That button is not a correction. Corrections will have to come in other forms, either with a leash, the long leash, your voice, whatever. That's not the correction. It's pairing. And then when your dog demonstrates to you, oh, yeah. In other words, how will you know that? I never press this button. I just don't. It's like the dog's kind of got it. Mm-hmm. Now you're ready to slowly, incrementally take it up a notch. Take it up. Keep doing it because you'll have to do it. Dogs will fall prey to temptation. And then you got to tap in and go, oh, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. My bad. I guess you didn't realize that you still had to come, even though a squirrel just ran right in front of you. Yeah. And for a little piece of advice, when you get to that level, intentional distractions are preferred, not unintentional distractions, because you need to be prepared to, to utilize the remote collar effectively. Yep. And then, and only then, do they now know, once they know how to turn it off, 
you can start to remove your physical tether called the leash because now your tether is invisible, but nevertheless, it touches them at a distance through windows, through walls, upstairs, downstairs, even in the neighbor's house, if they happen to go over there. That's why it's so cool. You want something that you can teach quiet? Oh, my gosh. I love that I can be upstairs. Bar, 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 quiet. Thank you. Silence is golden. <laughs> I think it's important to mention that sometimes in the pairing stage or phase, we see a little bit of a drop in attitude with the dog when they're trying to figure it out. They're just a little confused right then. But boy, do they come back strong. They have oh, an incredible yeah. sense of accomplishment. And you can just see them strutting about when they've got it all figured out. Yeah, it's I call incredible. It a, I call it a switchover point because you literally see the dog switch over. It's like this moment of confusion, like, what the heck is going on? And then all of a sudden, they got it. Oh, I can play this game all day. Let's do it. Yeah, it's yeah, just like a, a, an attitude change. Just oh, it's amazing. It's that, watch, it's that yeah. incredible moment. And from a scientific level, we call it safety signal hypothesis. Mm. And, it's, and as a human, it's when you've gone through something, you didn't understand it, you didn't get it. It could be a, a physical trial, a mental trial, whatever. And then suddenly you accomplish it. That's known as safety signal hypothesis. Just a nice little light example of that. It gets a little bit deeper than that. But, and again, we're going to cover that. And uh, when we get into canine pharmacotherapy, it's going to get really deep. So get your thinking caps on because it's going to come at you hard and fast. So now let's talk a little bit about nuisance behaviors. Because if you own a dog, you got them. <laughs> it's yeah. it what it is. Daily. They, <laughs> they're going to get on your counters. They're going to grab your shoes. They're going to swallow the kid's underwear. They are going to... Eat the Apple TV remote. We cut more of those out of dogs when I owned my veterinary hospital than anything else. I don't know why they dig those little silver things, but by golly, they do. And they didn't pass very well. So there are nuisance behaviors with dogs. Now, this is not associated with obedience. So here's the deal. With obedience, you are involved. The dog may not know what the signal is, but the dog should think the signal is coming from you. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's me. Hence why I can have 75-year-old petite grandmother who can own the 80-pound fire raging through its fur golden doodle. <laughs> They're all it's, like that. <laughs> it's the only reason why she can have a high quality of life and the animal can share the mm-hmm. high quality of life with her because she has power, kind of like something out of a Marvel comic movie. You got power. You got the ability to control the animal, to say, hey, I love you, dog, but you really need to quit chewing on my sofa. I had to use two of my retirement checks to pay for that thing. And besides that, you swallow that leather and it could kill you. So I'm going to save you from yourself. So nuisance behaviors, elimination, it's Great. And the biggest key with that is the reason why it's so great is because you, you are not involved. Hence, full time, 24 7, 365 reliability. And who can't use that? That's yeah. a wonderful thing. Like Kira mentioned last week, litter box in our house. I'm good. <laughs> it wasn't me. I didn't get them. The litter box got them. Same thing with the kitchen counter. 
Same thing with the jar microwave. Poke your little nose in there and the darn thing's going to get you. There are things that are awesome. You go into my flower bed, mulch. Gosh, dang, that mulch is hot. You might want to put that in your mouth and swallow that. It's awesome. So when you're doing nuisance behaviors, number one, don't yell no. Aunt, phooey, bad dog. You had nothing to do with this. In fact, take even extreme measures to make sure they don't think you do. I remember when I first met Kara, she had a Doberman named Moses. And Moses would jump on top of her kitchen counter. And it was like an island, a big old butcher block (laughs) island. And I found that out because I had a backpack that I had worn on my back in 38 different countries. So I was kind of emotionally attached to it, kind of like a little blankie or whatever. (laughs) And I set it up on that counter and she and I went out back, enjoyed a couple hours in the nice weather. And next thing you know, I come in and the very first thing I see is a remnant of my backpack. He liked it too. Yeah. Well, here was the bad thing. Inside that backpack was a bottle, a full bottle of Remedil for my dog and anti-inflammatory. We couldn't find that anywhere. So we had to make getting on the kitchen counter go away. But Moses was savvy because why? He didn't touch anything on that counter if you were anywhere in that house. But as soon as you stepped out of the house, he was all over that bad boy. So on goes the remote training caller and hook up the phone. Let's connect on FaceTime. Let's get in the car. I'm going to prove to him we had nothing to do with this. We back out of the driveway, and I kid you not, we are not even out of the driveway. He's looking out the window, looking at the counter, because we got all sorts of stuff on the counter, everything from, I don't know, hostess stuff, and you just name it, just all sorts of good snacks. And he's looking at the counter, looking out the window, looking at the counter, looking out the window. And it's like, oh, my God, look at him. Look at him. He knows. He's so smart. <laughs> so we pulled out of the driveway, threw it in first gear. It was a stick ship. And for all of you with automatics, I don't even know if they make the stick ships anymore. So anyway, we started to drive off. And sure enough, as soon as we rounded an old cul-de-sac curve there, there goes Moses. All four legs. He didn't just put two paws on the counter. He hopped up on top of the counter. And when he did, they don't make film speed. That would have captured his body flying off of that counter. (laughs) He was gone because he got hit at a very high level. And that's one thing that you can do with nuisance behaviors. You don't have to start with pairing. You want them to pair it with the sofa, with the kitchen counter, and so forth. He flew off of that. And what, Karen, the next three years that we owned him, never got on that counter again. Never, Never, ever. He went and ate the sterno log out of the fireplace instead. Yep, he did that. So we had to go work on that too. But anyway, so again, welcome to owning a dog. You get nuisance behaviors. But that's what ridding nuisance behaviors can become with a remote caller. You remove yourself from the scene. You want them to make that that natural association that you spoke of, Joshua. The one that they will do um, left on their own. It was the thing I was touching. It'd be no different from us if I'm running my hand across this table that we're sitting at right now, and suddenly something sticks me really hard, and I go, ow, I'm not going to look over at you two and go, why did you do that? <laughs> no, I'm going to look down at the table and go, what the heck got me here? I, well, holy moly, I'm not going to touch this spot until I figure out what it is. 
Yeah, welcome to life on planet Earth called cause and effect. And that was one of my arguments from a hotshot over there in the UK. You know, cause and effect, the principle of it is science. It is science. And I use the example in my reply. If I throw a stone up in the air and the thing comes back down and smacks me in the head, science can tell me why that happened meaning taking into account the laws of gravity, trajectory, mass versus air mass, so on and so forth. But it would do nothing from an absolute standpoint, meaning absolutely do it, as far as persuading me not to throw another stone in the air. It would tell me why I could be hit again, but would it motivate me to not throw a stone in the air? Possibly not. What would motivate me would be the effect of that thing smacking me in my head and me going, ow, that is called cause and effect. And that is science. And a skilled practitioner in any science uses that day in, day out, regardless of what they're doing. So those who handle remote training callers, who have even half a clue, rely upon the science The one that doesn't have 50 million holes punched in it in the first two sentences is not missing data. It doesn't depend upon if you're biased or not. Well, I like shiny white rocks. I don't like the granite ones. I like the smooth polished ones if they're going to smack me in the head. It doesn't give a crap about that. Darn thing's going to come right back down if you throw it the same way and you walk underneath it, it's going to smack you in the stinking head. There is nothing worse than that. It's a... so that's cause and effect. It's cause and effect. I remember my military days firing up a mortar. Yep, little, little grenade launcher. Little M79 went straight up in the air. And I thought I was shooting a flare, but I shot a grenade. And the bad thing with that is, once you realize that, which is about half a second after it leaves the barrel, you go, now what do I do? Which way do I run? <laughs> do I lay here? Is it going to land dead smack in the middle of my back? Or do I run. But then you go, no, I don't want to run because I could run underneath the darn thing. So that was a horrible 40 seconds. It was just absolutely horrible. And it's horrible for all the guys around me because they are doing the same thing, getting into the tightest fetal position you can possibly get into, wishing you could just crawl underneath the earth at that moment. Yeah, that, that 40 seconds lasted 40 years. And I aged 40 years from it. And thank God, Gravity took it somewhere else and no one got hurt from it. But had that landed, blown off my leg, guarantee I would have never done that again. And as it was, I never did again anyway because science proved to me that that was the wrong thing. (laughs) So, guys, when you use a remote caller, basic rules in summary real quick. One, get a device that has a variable intensity. Two, go through pairing. Pairing. Your dog must associate the new, weird, funky, ghost-like haptic signal with the command, with the other signals. Once that is done, you can slowly, incrementally take up the signal so you can correct your dog and say, hey, remember what signals are for? Remember the episode that we had on that? It's there to influence your behavior. I love you, dog, but you are about to run across a road. And you're going to get killed or or have a motor swerve miss you and they get killed. So therefore, you need to come to me. You need to come to me right now. So now you take it up and you use it that way. For nuisance behaviors, we simply don't say a word and just press the button. If they keep repeating the behavior, turn it up. 
Okay, guys, if you've got any more questions on remote callers, reach out to me to Brian with the Y at TamingTheWild.com. Next week, I'm excited about next week because we have Dr. Carr Kelsey in the house. The heat is on, and we're going to talk about summertime maladies. Heat is hard on dogs. Heat is hard on Brian. <laughs> I hate summertime. But we're going to need to talk about heat exhaustion, heat stroke, fleas and ticks, allergies, heartworm, and a whole bunch of other things that can happen and will happen to your dog if you don't watch out for it. So join us next week as we have Dr. Carr Kelsey in the house. The heat is on. It's been great talking to you. You guys have an awesome week. And keep on training, keep on using remote callers, and keep our dogs happy and safe. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild and Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it. 